0: This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. All right, everyone. Well, we will go ahead and get started. Uh, it's really exciting, excited to be here with you. I it is uh, 1 a.m. in Barcelona, Spain. That's a long story of how I'm here, but i there's nowhere else I'd rather be than with this group of fine gentlemen here talking about multifamily in 2023. So I'm super jazzed. I hope that you're super jazzed. And these guys are excited to talk. So we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to jump into it. We'll do some intros. We're going to just really talk about what tonight is all about. So again, my name is Bronson Hill. I'm the CEO of Bronson Equity. We do multifamily deals. We go about $200 million in multifamily, as well as some other alternative assets. If you haven't joined our investment club, please check that out. Um, also join the investment club of each of these guys as well. They we have some great deals that they're doing as well. So I'm going to give the lineup of who's here today. We have some uh, really big names in the industry. Really excited to have Ken McElroy from MC Companies. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. Awesome. Welcome, Neil, Neil Bawa. We've got uh, from Capitus. Welcome, Neil.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. And uh, we have Mark Kenny from Think Multifamily.
1: Hey, Bronson. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited that you're all here live. And if you're watching this on a replay, uh, put in the chat where you're coming in from just to get that chat going as well. It's always fun to get the chat going, and we're going to do some questions at the end of this. But I'm going to set the table for what tonight's going to be about. It is the 2023 Multifamily Outlook event. Uh, We're seeing rates continuing to rise. It's uh, getting harder to get multifamily deals done. Uh, I had a conversation with Neil previously, and he said multifamily uh, volume, sales volume is down 78% from 12 months ago, right? So there's a lot of questions as an investor. And if you're on this, you're watching this, you're interested, should I be investing right now? Should I be holding cash? Are my investments in multifamily safe? What should I be looking at? What's what's the Fed going to do? We're going to jump into all of this. So uh, get ready, buckle up, let's go for it. So to get started, um, we're going to start with Ken. So Ken, give us a quick layout as far as what you see in 2023. What, what's kind of a high-level overview of what investors should be aware of that are, are getting into or already invested in multifamily?
2: Sure. So we uh, we as a group uh, underwrote hundreds of deals in 2022. We, we made offers on 50, um, and uh, we we're in probably 45 best and finals, and we ended up with two. Um, and you know, obviously, we could have stretched, and and you know, though, though we're in very specific markets. So uh, there's a lot of competition uh, in those markets, and and I think there's a big difference between the seller and the buyer. Obviously, still, so the buyer uh, is obviously looking out the windshield, and the the seller's looking in the rearview mirror. Um, you know, but it's a game of chicken, and the, and the the seller's going to lose. So what's going to happen is the buyer is going to continue to underwrite uh at the current debt rates that we have whatever they are um I do think they're going to continue to go up at least in the first quarter um you know to try to tamper some inflation I'd like to hear Neil's uh, uh uh piece on that but um you know there's you know there there's there's lag there's lag between the bid and the ask with the seller um totally fine I'm okay with that you know I I went through this and uh oh five six seven eight nine. You know, when whether it was from a from a syndicator or a, a, an owner that already had a seasoned partnership or a bank, it didn't really matter. You, you know, you just got to stick with the fundamentals, cash flow. Um, that's it, and and uh, and just be diligent on whatever your whatever your underwriting box is. Just stay there. Um, don't worry about anything else. So, uh, I think 2023 is going to be a time of getting your liquidity together. And and I'm focusing on operations. So, you know, candidly, during this run, um, in my own management company, the one I own, <laughs> it's got 300 people in it. I think we got a little soft. You know, we we got soft on all kinds of stuff. You know, on um, expenses and things that we could do better. So, I've been focused on that um, right now. While even though we're 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 offering every single week on on stuff, I'm I'm kind of focused on operations.
0: Awesome, thanks, Ken. That's a good uh, kind of summary. I want you to come back to uh, lag because I think that's a really interesting concept. Uh, Later, we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Neil, what do you want to add to that? What are you seeing twenty twenty three What should investors be aware of, or what's what do you see happening uh, in multifamily?
3: I think what's happening is that the multifamily market adjusts so slowly that people on the seller side don't have to make concessions that they should be making and i think that what we are seeing is the overall distress in the market is still coming off such a low number that while it's increasing while it's jumping you know if it's if it's at a million then it ends up being a hundred thousand it's still an extremely small number and it's not moving the narrative in the marketplace we're not seeing that happen and so multifamily prices are flat uh, because NOIs have risen a lot in the first half of 2022 and a little bit in the, in the second half of 2022. So we're not really seeing a huge price decline. Obviously the cap rates are, are you know, have, have you know, decompressed and where we should be seeing significant cap rate compression in my mind, in a perfect world, like if, the, if the, the real estate market in the US, if it was like a stock market, prices would be down 20% more in the next two quarters, 20%. That's where they need to be. But I think what we might see is a one to 2% price decline in Q1 uh, uh, over what we've already seen. We might see a little bit more than that in Q2 because what's happening is that people, are, people have made so much money, people have made so much in profits that they're not willing to accept the fact that they might have to sell their property at loss. Uh, they're either putting money in for themselves at this point of time, stealing money from their operating reserves and getting those down to zero. Maybe they'll do a small cash call for their investors. None of those phases have really happened for sufficiently large number of, of units for brokers to start saying, hey, this market is problematic and you need to lower your price significantly. And so that's where we are, where you know the biggest number in my mind is the one that you already said, Bronson, volumes down 78%. Nobody wants to sell their building if they don't have to, because everyone thinks a year from now they're going to be in a better situation. And so we are at a log jam. And I'm not seeing it get resolved in Q1 or Q2.
0: Thanks, Neil. Um, Mark, why don't you or why don't you share a little bit of your thoughts? I'd also love for you to touch base on the lending environment, because I know that's a big factor as well. Um, so maybe you can uh take some time and just talk about 2023, what you're seeing, and all as well as kind of, you know, what's what's changed in lending?
1: Yeah, no, I both, Ken and Neil, great points. I guess a couple of things back to what Neil had said, I would agree as far as the disconnect and in, in Ken brought up as well between buyers and sellers. But I'm also getting, this didn't, didn't happen just this, this year, towards the tail end of last year, number of deals, a lot of people aren't well capitalized. So while they mentioned, you know, Neil said, hey, they're going to go, try to do capital call, you know, hopefully you don't have to do that, but people are going to be like, I'm not throwing, you know, good money at bad. So they're going to be tough there. A lot of the syndicators aren't well capitalized. They can't put money in themselves. So they're going to be sitting there staring going, what do we do? We sell a loss or sell, if we can get break even. A lot of these cases, you'd be, it's a win in some of these deals, if you could break even, but you're not going to break even on some of the deals. So I'm already seeing deals brought to me. People are like, sell them at the loan, whatever the loan value is, pay off the loan. It's limited for sure, but we're going to see more and more of that, especially when the when the rate caps, not cap rates, but rate caps, just think of it as insurance protection against the rate. When those wear off, which they are, um, on a lot of cases, and bridge becomes due and things like that, we're going to see a lot more deals that are distressed, uh, maybe not operationally distressed, but they don't have the money to, to survive. So in some cases, it's simply... You know, I know investors are sitting there going, well, we were used to making all these returns, like to Neil's point. uh, That's not just the syndicators, that's the investors, too. And they're going to have to readjust their expectations. Distributions are going to be light and maybe non-existent in some deals. And, you know, if the general partners, you know, syndicators aren't coming back to you asking for money, uh, be thankful. Um, I've never done it yet on any deals, period. And not to say we have put money in our own deals because we have. But never going back to investors and taking money from them for, for a capital call yet and hopefully never have to do that. But a lot of people aren't in position to do that. So you're going to see distressed deals coming in for sure. I think as far as deals coming out, Neil said, you know, hey, people aren't going to sell less they have to. There'll be some people that have to sell. Other people might say, well, you know what? Um, there's still some equity there, so I'm willing to sell at a certain you know profit less than I would over a year ago, but I'm willing to do that just to take my chips off the table. I think anyone that has debt right now, back to the, the loan discussion, people that have debt becoming you know due, or if they have a fixed rate debt, they're gonna be people that are gonna to wanna to assume the, those loans, so a lot of loan assumptions. Uh, refis are gonna be there because people will be stuck with a refi because they can't make money out of sale. All of us that have been blessed not to have recourse debt, you know, on our multifamily, there will be people and already happened toward the tail end of last year where people will be signing on recourse debt in order to go to like local banks. That's gonna happen without a doubt, it's already happening. A lot of recapitalization, how do they do that? People are gonna take advantage, sharks are out and they should be, because that's what they do, right? They're gonna make money, they're gonna be high, high interest rates, you need money for a deal, I'll put it in, it's gonna be, you know, 13 to 18%. I'm not part of the GP, pick pick some numbers, I don't care what it is, but it's high, put it that way, it's high, but so people will be taking that. Um, a lot of people buying new, we'll try look for fixed debt, whether that's bridge or Fannie Freddie, um, things like that. I would make sure you're getting, you know, at least a, like a five-year horizon, personal opinion, even if it's a, a bridge, uh, you know, so you at least have some runway there. Um, there's going to be, um, you know, rates as far as that. I don't know. I'm not going to project. I think, you know, that the first half of the year, Ken, Ken brought up as well, probably going to be, you know, a little bit tougher. I'm pretty convinced, at least by election year, the you know, consensus is, Consensus is, is meaningless, in my mind. Nobody projected this was going to happen. Smartest people in the world never didn't project this was going to happen the way it happened like this. But there's going to be some, some opportunities because of that. So making sure that you're, you know, looking at fixed rate debt, making sure if you do bridge, you have rate caps um, in place, no matter what. And you work, worked on your model. Ken brought it up, you know, underwrite with the highest interest rates for the duration of the project. Hopefully they go down. But these lenders have to loan money. They can't sit there. they have they have returns they have to project back to their investors too. They can't not loan money. Banks make money by loaning money multiple times over and over again. They're going to have to loan. So there are already some shifts right now in the lending that we've seen where some lenders have come back to us and said, well, you know what? we'll we'll actually work with you on the rate a little bit, not drastically, but some. There are some that are doing their own uh, rate caps internally. so you don't have to go out to the market and pay, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands. In cases, some cases, millions of dollars for for a rate cap. Uh, someone will keep it on their own balance sheet to give you as a fixed fixed debt. So there are more options coming out, which are good, not perfect. And I wish it was better. You know, better like it was before. But lenders know they have to loan money. I think I think as a investor and or as a syndicator using lenders that are operators in my mind, meaning operators, they they run their own properties and things like that. Don't do that my personal opinion, because sure. they're the ones that can come over and kind of equity strip if they sure. need to. Almost every loan right now, I don't care whose it is, you know, it's high, high percentage. The way the loan docs are written, pretty much almost everyone they could probably call default. No matter what, you missed one day on your insurance, you're in default. You didn't send us for monthly reports on time, you're in default. So they are those operators that are also lenders, those are the ones that are going to try to potentially come after properties. A lot of the other lenders, they don't want the properties back. So they're going to be more apt to work with you.
0: Sure. Thanks, Mark. Um, so I want to ask you, this This is really that you brought up a lot of great points and a lot of great points on lending and a lot yes. of um, I, I wanted to just touch base and see maybe go around to kind of Neil. What do you see? Now is being the biggest deals that are at risk. Because again, if I have a deal with an operator, you know, a lot of people are wondering like, is my deal okay? Or what, what are the what are the highest risk or lowest risk type of deals that you would see? Would it just simply be, maybe we start with Ken, would it just be more fixed rate debt is safe and stuff that's more variable and coming due? That's more higher risk. And and what what are good operators doing right now to kind of mitigate that? You talked about you know, operations. Can you talk a little bit more about some of those best practices?
2: Yeah. So We have we have six projects in construction. Um, You don't get fixed rate construction debt. So you know, so when you start a construction project, let's say it's a sixty million bucks, forty debt, let's say, and twenty equity. You start. You know, there's two problems. One is costs are higher. The second is cost of debt is higher. So those are things that have happened in the last year. So you got to watch, you know, you know, I think um, Mark talked about this. We had reserves, we have reserves uh, both on the um contingency side for construction but also on the um on the equity, you know, in case of you know any interest rate issues. So I think that's a biggie for people because there's no lenders that's going to fix on anything unless it's actually in service or you know fully done. So anything that's under construction, I think is at risk, uh, potentially, because they started probably in the three, four range. Now they're in the six, seven range. Um, you know, on 40 million, that's a lot. Let's say that's just one example. So that's one. Number two, I would say um value add, anything value add with bridge. So and, and on you know, the people that didn't buy caps, and there's a fair amount of those, believe it or not. People didn't buy caps, and you know, back a year ago, caps were a lot less. They they priced a lot, uh, you know, and you it's not unusual for a cap to be a million bucks now. So, um, and um, you know, we're getting paid on our caps. So anything that was value add, um, you, you know, and and so you have low maturity issues or cap uh, expirations or whatever you want to call them, those are going to all be at risk. And I think anybody that doesn't have dry powder. Um, is going to be at risk. And I think, you know, we're already hearing it. Mark's hearing it. I'm hearing it. I'm sure Neil's hearing it. People are going out and finding ways not to lose their projects or recapitalize them kind of behind the scenes. Um, And I think as an LP, you have to be really careful to understand if new money comes in, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for the GP? What does that mean for the existing LP, LPs? Um, And, you know, is it before you, after you, dilute you, you know, all that kind of stuff is going to be probably surfacing in 2023 would be my guess. Um, I like Mark, uh, you know, this is our 21st year uh, in multifamily syndication. We've never cash called an investor. Um, We've lost money uh, before uh, back in uh, 05, 06 on some condo conversion projects, you know, so, you you become wise to you know you don't learn anything when you're making money you learn a lot when you lose it and um, and so you know from from our standpoint you, you know we we've been you know putting stuff in place just because we, we don't want to have to go there again um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of people that um, haven't been through this uh, you know the ten years you could fog a mirror and buy a deal and you you'd be good. Um, and it's, you know, nobody's really experienced what we're about ready to see. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, we're seeing it already. Some of the larger groups. Now, there's a group called Veritas, which works in San Francisco, near where Neil near where Neil lives. And they've $450 million loan default, just I think was posted this yeah. week. And then a group called yep. uh, Chet, ChetReet, which is a developer, $481 million loan over 43 properties. The first one was 62 properties. 40 40. Now, these are more higher end type of stuff. And of course, there's a new situation and stuff. But, you know, what are some of the risks that you're seeing right now in the market?
3: I think the biggest risk, uh, ironically, you know, I, I saw both of those uh, articles come out this week. Not surprised. I think the biggest market risk is in the multifamily construction market in the syndication bucket. You know, we we think syndications, most of the US, the truth is syndication markets maybe 5% of the US multifamily market, you know, maybe 10% now. But what happened was a lot of syndicators, as long as they're buying rate caps, they may not default on their property. As as Ken said, they might bring in extra capital. And that new capital probably will come in with preferential treatment, but at least the property will won't be lost. I still prefer that as the Uh, last case. haven't done a cash call either. But I think what happened was in the 2018, 19, 20, 2021 timeframe, a bunch of syndicators that have, uh, the young syndicators that had access to money started doing development projects. And these folks are, pardon my French, they're screwed because we are seeing you know we're seeing LTCs drop from 75 to 70 to 65 to 60 and now even to 55 where are they going to bring that equity in now i saw some of this coming i went back to my investors and asked for a discretionary fund i have it it's it, it's eight figures it's at my discretion right so my investors i don't have any ppms saying you must put this money into this building or whatever it's a discretionary fund that i can use to support my assets or i can basically Basically, go out and 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 give somebody one of these uh, horsehead deals. I don't know if Ken knows the word horsehead. But essentially, it's it's where I go in and tell somebody I'm going to take over your deal. I'll bring in the pref equity. Basically, all of your in- investors are going to be at the bottom level. If the property does really well, they might make their money back, but otherwise, it is what it is. And you basically take a a, a, a you know a wallet of ten or twenty million dollars and you walk around looking at people's deals. That's going to happen. Um, I think it's going to happen the most with these development projects. I was seeing syndicators that had never built a property put $20 million into a 300-unit property. I just did a $69 million loan on a 300-unit property, but that was my fifth project. And I did it with the same bank that I'd done four with. And they were nice to me. They could have walked away and it would have been problematic for me. But if you're on your first project and you have a 300-unit loan coming up right now, they're going to ask you to put ten million dollars in. I think that segment of the market is going to implode in the next six months.
0: Yeah, I know. I've always been concerned about development for that reason. Just the time it takes to to get those things to market, and of course, all the risk that goes with the financing, like you guys uh, both mentioned. Um, question that I want to ask: um, I want to talk. I want to ask Ken this one. I want to go around. Um, But you you talk about lag and you talk about, you you do some videos on this, but I think your videos are awesome. But talking about, you know, the Fed is making moves as long as the, you know, I know all of you have opinions on this. I want to hear all of your opinions, but rates are continuing to rise. Now, if they're rising in a smaller amount, obviously that's better, but eventually it'll get to a place where we'll start to plateau. And then what will, you know, when will that happen? What will change in lending? And you know, once things start coming down, all this money, I mean, it's been said, Bloomberg said Americans have a record amount, four times the amount of cash in savings, over $5 trillion just sitting there. So all this money on the sidelines. So it was, I guess that's kind of a big question. But, Ken, can you kind of just talk through uh, what you see the Fed doing the next 6 to 12 months, how it's affecting multifamily, what's the lag effect?
2: Sure. Well, I, I did. Uh, well, we were at 9.1% inflation in june we we had the first rate increase in march of 2022 um i you know i i believed that we were going to go through pretty aggressive uh yeah i mean powell was pretty clear on you know now you don't always know right but he was pretty clear and the fed was doing the the the, their committee's uh, approval was unanimous so this wasn't contentious at the committee approval level so i'm like wow they're really going to try to get this 9 down um so you know that's I was like we're definitely going to get these rate caps we're definitely going to do all this stuff so i was you know it was a guess of course uh, and and i i still think that um you, you know we're going to see some pretty heady uh inflation this year i believe i don't think they're we're going to be under 4 for sure by the end of the year um, I don't, but uh, I could be wrong on that. So I do think that they're going to be doing quarter and half points in the next few meetings. Um, and I don't think we've seen really unemployment, real the real numbers. I, I know I was talking to um, a couple of economists just in the last 30 days, and they're saying there's some big differences between what the BLM is saying and what you know some of these household surveys are saying, uh, upwards of even a million people. So I don't know what the truth is, but I do think that you, I do think that the top is off. And and I don't see I see cap rates, you know, we're not looking at really anything under five now. So that was very different. And, you know, and, and you know, we're we're probably looking at four or six deals a week and maybe offering on one or two. Um, that's after a whole bunch more are vetted uh, in our in the markets we're looking at. So, uh, you, you know, I I do believe, and uh, I think Mark said it. We're we're looking at fixed rate assumptions with more equity. Um, I think one of the problems, one of the big issues that nobody's really addressing yet is also um, if if you are raising money at five or six, let's say, equity, um, debt is higher now. So so you now have a different you know debt is less risky than equity. so so there's an it's an interesting thing that's happening right now where debt in a lot of cases, uh, not in every case, if if somebody's raising eight or nine percent, then of course it's not true, but then the deal's not cash flowing for sure, and they're relying on a capital gain event in order to pay that. So uh, it's an interesting time to see the difference between debt and equity. Um, they're actually priced pretty close. Uh, So I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah,
0: thanks. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. Um, Mark, give us your thoughts on what you're seeing right now with the Fed. What do you have? I know not necessarily predictions, but um, how do you see this playing out the next 6 to 12 months, just kind of an ideal situation?
1: Yeah, before I go there, just real quick too, because of the the other question previously, I wanted to mention something. That, you know, both Neil and, and Ken brought up, you know, excellent points, but the there's a third piece out there right now that's really impacting a lot of multifamily and it's insurance. And I'm not just throwing it out there. It, it's substantial in some of these areas where, you know, Ken's in Arizona, so insurance is cheap, right? <laughs> um, we had, I mean, give, give an example, this real example, $600,000 a year insurance was going to go to 3.6 million. Um, there's no joke. That's like, that's a deal killer. Like you're done. The deal's over. Is that Wait, in Florida? Uh, uh, no, Texas, South. Wow. Okay. Texas, there's some deals, you know, that was 500, uh, $500 a door per year or $2,100 a door per year. So the reason I'm bringing it up it's it's a double whammy, right? Your interest rates are going through the roof and then your insurance is in some cases going through the roof. And if it was just one or the other, maybe you could say, hey, we can survive and limp along. But if you get hit on a property with both those things substantially, you're screwed potentially. So I just want to bring that up. Uh, so be careful as an investor too, where you're investing to understand there it's drastically different across the country on insurance premiums. And it doesn't even mean that something happened at a property or even in that area necessarily. But so just be, be leery of that. Um, with the Fed, um, I, I think, you know, frankly, the Fed doesn't know what they're doing. That's my personal opinion. Um, I think, you know, to Ken's point, the lag and things like that, I see, oh, Uh, You know, we had all these jobs added, and I hear every single freaking you know company laying off people, banks and all the IT companies. But so somehow we have all these jobs being added. Makes zero sense whatsoever. Um, They're not waiting to see what the impact is. I don't know how you can be this aggressive without at least seeing what the impact is going to be first. Um, We've seen the impact. You know, (laughs) Neil said you know multifamily is down. You know, whatever was seventy nine percent or whatever. We've seen people that don't want to borrow money anymore. People don't want to buy houses. So how that, you know, there, there's a huge impact that's this happening right now. And there's not enough time being put in to, to this decide. I think it's like like they always do. They're going to do it till they break it to the point where it's totally broken. And then enough people, you know, that actually can, can influence the Fed. You know, you you and I, you know, have no impact on them. But there are people definitely that are influential. Uh, you know, all the bigwigs meeting this week, right? You know, all the smart people that run the world. Um, it will come to a halt at some point. And if it doesn't in 2023, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm pretty convinced, not projecting, pretty convinced in election year, it will start reverting because they will get political pressure. You know, they're not, they're not a political organization, right. But they, there's still people, you know, and now I'm trying to be, whatever people have ways to make people do things, uh, whether they have dirt on somebody. I mean, there's things will happen, but, um. I don't know. I think there's not enough time, you know, in between right now to see what happens to Ken's point. I think they will continue to raise, not, not as aggressive. You know, the advantage we have a little bit now is that we will be smarter investors. Ken said it right. You know, going through this time, no one's ever seen it. You're going to underwrite at a little bit higher rate, but we had some deals that went up 350 basis points. So 3.5% while we're under contract. So you know, is that going to happen between that? I don't think so. I don't. And I, you know, I'm pretty confident in saying that, but no one could have seen that coming. So as long as you underwrite, you know, with a higher, a little bit higher rate, it's not going to go, like I just mentioned, I don't think some examples from 2022, um, but um, there will be a lot less deals done for sure. And it will, I mean, like anything, right? Values, I'll put all the money I have that real estate's going up hundred percent guaranteed when I don't know. Nobody else does either, but it'll go out up. So yeah, it, you, have, you can survive in some cases. It's surviving. So as an investor, be sitting there going, when I'm getting my preferred return, you here's, let me pull the Performa up. You know, those days are a little bit over on some deals for some period of time. So you need to be <laughs> sit tight, be patient and realize that some of these returns aren't going to happen in the immediate. Maybe eventually, you know, you hold it long enough, eventually it'll go up. So.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting time in multifamily. I think my opinion is a little different um, than a lot of people in that I think we'll look back on this time and, think, and really look back and say, man, I wish I had found a way to own a lot more stuff. Because I think that what's going to happen, whether it's three months, six months, 12 months, two years, whatever that time is to where rates start dropping, um, I think that there's going to be all this money that's going to flood in. And I think it's going to be very interesting. And I also think the Fed um, you know, they they stay one course, they say what they're going to do. And then all of a sudden they, they can quickly shift. Oh, actually, we're doing this now. They don't, they, don't, they kind of like stay the course and they switch. So we don't know when that will happen, but it happens very suddenly like it did when they say, oh, we're, now we're raising rates. So it's interesting to see. Um, Neil, talk to us about the bipolar market. You talked, we had a conversation recently and you were talking about how this is the most bipolar economy and market situation and the Fed. and Can you talk more about that bipolar kind of dynamic that's going on?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, Mark did a very good job of sort of summarizing the challenges. So you know about that side of our economy, right? But then on the other side, we have this bizarre situation where the Fed started 12 months ago, pounding the crap out of the economy with the fastest interest rate hikes of all time. 11 months ago, unemployment was 3.5%. Today, it's 3.5%. Now, let's assume, Mark's right, and there's a, a fudge of a million. That puts it at 3.8. That's bipolar. This economy is, not, is fighting the Fed in a way that previous economies have not. The, eight, the economy in 1982 didn't fight the Fed this hard. When interest rates were being raised in 2015, 16, 17, 18, activity was coming down. Right now, the market seems to be completely ignoring. Fed. And so we've got this extraordinarily bizarre bipolar situation. I have some guesses, and these are, I actually don't have data to support this. And I hate saying that because I'm known to kind of look at data. But what I'm seeing is, I think what's happening in the marketplace is that there are other countries that are in so much worse scenario. I mean, you know, the UK dead in the water. The Eurozone is in horrible trouble. China, I mean, if you don't know what's going on in China, you have to study it. This is dead man walking. And when you look at what's happening there, we look a lot better. So we continue to get institutional capital come into not just real estate, but everything overall across the board. I see inflows, they're very strong. The dollar is much stronger than it was 18, 24 months ago. So it's come down a bit, but it's still very strong. So when you look at all of those things, the fundamental economy is very strong. You said household balance sheets are so strong. I mean, they're ridiculously strong. We helicoptered, helicoptered $4 trillion into people's homes, right? And the last time, 2008, we gave money to the banks. We gave money to General Motors. This time we gave money to people and they're spending it. They haven't spent all of it and there's still trillions of dollars in their bank account that they didn't have the day before COVID. So you. You've got this fundamental economy that is very strong. And if anyone doubts it, I go back to this. 11 months ago, 3.5% unemployment. Today, 3.5%. So the economy, it's fighting the Fed. And that's why I have zero belief that the Fed's going to stop. There's four Fed, Fed meetings in the first half of the year. There's Jan, there's March, there's May, and there's June. I think we get quarter point, quarter point, quarter point, and quarter point in all four of those. I don't think the Fed stops after one or two I think that's just Wall Street being Wall Street. They have been ridiculously bullish since the first day and they've been ridiculously wrong since the first day. The Fed has actually done exactly what they said a year ago. They haven't, they've been the only party that's been consistent in this whole process. They said, we're gonna need to raise rates a lot. Their dot plots have been consistent. Everyone else just assumed the best and none of those things have happened. And now why are people continuing to assume the best? I think rates go from 4.25, that's the lower bound of the Fed funds rate today, to 5.25 by June. And then the Fed holds because it takes a long time for, for inflation to come down from their, wherever it is today, 5.5%, 6% to two. And the Fed wants it down almost to 2% before they start cutting interest rates. Now, I want to point this out, and you know, I know you have a separate question about this, we don't need the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates for mortgage rates to go down. There's never been a requirement to do that. The spreads compress when the banks start feeling better. The spreads are ridiculous right now. They, I don't know if Ken's seen them before. I, in my career, I've never seen the spreads being this wide. The spreads will compress when the banks feel comfortable. And, and they'll feel comfortable when the Fed stops, not when the Fed goes down. So I, I think we get some relief in the second half of the year from the high mortgage rates i think the fed's set on its ways
0: All right thanks neil that's uh that's a really good point um so the question we're going to take questions here from our live, live audience in a little bit so um yeah, there's a chat box there's also a q a box so if you have a question go ahead and put your question in there but we've got a, uh some more questions for our panelists here so the question if i'm an investor and i've got you know a pile of cash in my bank account and it's, you know, I, I'm really wondering what I should be doing. A lot of people are holding cash because they're afraid. They don't know what to do uh, or maybe I should invest. What should I do? Uh, really, the question is, is, you know, buy more, you know, hold what you have or sell. And so uh, we want to kind of go around and just get kind of each panelist's opinions on you know, maybe what you're doing and kind of what you suggest investors, uh, obviously not giving any specific advice, but just, you know, what, what, what which of those three look most appealing to you? Let's start with Ken.
2: Well, I don't like to pay tax. So, um, and you know, like I think a lot of people have a capital gain strategy. So they buy something, they sell it for more, then they have to do it again. At some point, the, the music stops. So for me, in my 20 year history, I, I have properties I've owned 15, 16 years. We're still getting full depreciation on. Obviously, they've tripled, quadrupled in price, whatever. I think we're, Last I looked, we were right around 2 billion in assets, you know, but I didn't pay that. You know, it's the market has done that for me. I've refinanced stuff two, three, four times. So um, you know, if you can find something today that's cash flowing at six, seven, I've done that. You know, the price has to come down. And I and then what you have is you have an asset that cash flows at six or seven. And if rates come down again, like Neil said, and I do agree, at some point they're going to have to. When they go to five, they go to four. Now, what you've done is you're scooping your equity back, and you're actually lowering your payment. So, if you go from six, let's say today, and you know, and and you can refinance at four and a half or four at some point two years from now, let's say, you're going to be golden. I went through this, and and so those are all assets we kept. I'm not a big net seller. I have obviously massive capital gain issues and depreciation recapture and all that kind of stuff. So I've always been a passive income guy. In my early career, I had to do it just to put milk, you know, just to buy milk, right? So, but now, uh, since then, we're just long-term holders. We love the depreciation, cost segregation and the bonus depreciation, all that stuff that you get for providing housing, the government, you know, incentivizes you. So I'm, you know, we're in for the long haul. What saved my butt in five, six, seven, eight, let's say, was cash flow. Period. You know, I bought stuff, and the the values were compromised through little higher cap rates or whatever. But didn't matter because I cash. I was cash flowing. I was cash flowing. I was cash flowing. Um, and um, you know, so I think people forget they lump real estate all in one big bucket. You know, single family is does not act the same as multifamily. So it's actually counter cyclical. If, if, if people can't afford a home and their mortgage payment went from three to six, let's say it's a thousand bucks on a $450,000 mortgage, it pushes them into rentals. That's good for multifamily. You know, when people, when people are working from home and the leases renew in office buildings, that's not good for office. So, you know, that's a lag too, that's coming. So you got, I think you're gonna have problems in retail. You're gonna have problems in office. Multifamily is gonna be really good uh, in, my, in my opinion. Over the long haul, um, single family is going to take a little bit of a hit, but we don't like to sell, Bronson, as you know, um, we're, we like to acquire and um, and just hold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you you guys uh, will do the infinite returns. That's your thing, right, to continue to hold and just continue to pull money out, which is awesome. Uh, Mark, let's talk. Uh, what, what would you say to investors?
1: Couple of things as far as you know the buy, sell, hold. Uh to Ken's point, if you can buy in, in cash flow based on the the rates and, and bump it up a little bit because they, you know, there'll be some hikes potentially this year, then buy. I mean, people are like, well, rates are high. It's like it doesn't the rate could be 50%. It doesn't matter to me. If the deal still cash flows and you can make it based on a 50% interest rate, then then buy. Um, so just, it shouldn't be a discouragement to Ken's point, which is which I love, is like okay, at some point, we know they're going to go back down. You hold a long-time hold strategies like Ken, they come back down, then you're just pulling equity out on a refi or things like that. Uh, the I think in some cases, uh, people that are in deals, if they are kind of in trouble with either the rate cap not in place, maybe they don't have money for CapEx and things like that, the distressed deals, then I think in they, if they can sell at a break-even, I think they should sell. I just do. Um, and there's other ones that I think if you can... You have a strategy and a plan like we're going to get to a point even with the high rates, that we can start breaking even. We're not there yet and you can survive and maybe you have to put some money in there to do it. Um, I would say, you know, hold those because eventually, you know, real estate will go up. I think as far as an investor, the smartest thing to do is what Neil brought up. I mean, these these funds that people are doing where, you know, people need money. If you put yourself in a position, it's not going to be a, a question of where somebody comes in putting money in 99.9% they're putting themselves right after the lender and before every single investor you have in your deal that's a smart way of doing it so their position is is pretty good unless the you know for some reason the the lender came and foreclosed on a property you know which would put you in a bad spot but let's assume you're, you're fine with the lender if I come into a deal that you're in Bronson and you have a bunch of investors in there and Can Neil and I put a little pool together. We're like, hey, we're going to give you, you know, 2 million bucks, Bronson. And by the way, we have priority over every one of your investors. Uh, And this is where we sit and you do a refi, we get paid first, interest rates sky high. Um, The protection there for an investor is, is really good. The risk is really low. And you would say risk adjusted, you know, return. Well, these are going to be disproportionate returns in my mind because people are going to charge really, really high interest on these deals that in some cases are pretty low risk because you're positioned there. So that's probably one of the best things in my mind if you can get into something like that where you put yourself above other investors and you want to get, you know, okay, by the way, I'm going to take part of the GP uh, in case the deal does perform. I'm coming in with money. I, I trump all your investors and I'm going to get a you know part of your GP spot uh, for doing this because of the hassle of kind of turning this property around. So
3: Brown, we're going to see, see lots about of opportunities. That time that I did, Uh, The way I wrote it, I'm coming in as uh, a convertible note. So I'm basically coming in as a note and I have the option. So I'm basically making 8% as a a lender. So obviously I'm above all of the equity. The property is not cash flowing. But at any point in the next three years, I have the option of converting myself to pref equity. And the operator doesn't have the option to prevent me. Market right. turns around, I convert. Market doesn't come around, I get eight percent. I'm a lender.
1: I'm not. That's even exactly right. Now you, you know, in Neil's case, he does sit, you know, right behind the senior debt, like the real lender. But that's about as safe as you're going to get, unless you're a bank that you can't get right. any better position. So, and so they just so-
3: the deal. They, they, they. I mean, I, I just felt like they had no choice.
1: Right. So so just so I
0: understand to break this down for investors. So this is like you have an investor pool that you basically syndicated a debt fund that goes into a, a troubled asset to an operator and you get in a preferred position where you have convertibility into uh you know preferred return or preferred equity if you want, but you are a debt position and you can convert it if you want.
3: Yep, whenever I want. And and what's interesting is I don't I hate the word distressed, and I think Ken would agree with me on this. This is a debt distressed. But highly overperforming asset. Correct. There's nothing wrong with the property. I mean, I would own this property any day, right? It's overperforming beyond its performa. It doesn't have a rate cap.
1: Right. It's a timing, it's a timing thing. Exactly. Right. I, I use the same thing. Distress to me is like, hey, you know, we're coming in and it's it's vacant. We're doing all this stuff. So I totally agree with you. It's a it's a timing thing and it's really one, one issue related to the property, and it's related to the, the rates going sky high without a rate cap. Other than that, like you said, a lot of these properties, if you take, took it back to the original performa, they would all be, not all of them, a lot of these would be performing assets. Yeah, yeah, and
3: then, um, like, one, one other thing I wanted no, to sure. add because I actually disagree with, with Ken and, and Mark on this. So, you know, in terms of great time to sell, horrible time, don't sell anything. Like just makes zero sense. You're basically paying blood money to the Federal Reserve. If you sell anything right now, sell nothing. Decent time to hold if you have a, you know, a decent rate cap. But I don't agree with Mark and Ken. I, I think this is not a good- I, Well, I
1: would say this, and I'll tell you why. There are people right now that are going to foreclosure with a lender. You better sell your property. Unless you are done as a syndicator in this industry. So if you don't want to sell and the lender takes your property, you might as well pull up shop because you're done. Completely agree. I
3: think if you have to sell, sell. Right. I think that in in those cases, sell. But on the yeah. buying side is where I disagree. I think I think we're in agreement on the selling side. Whatever's whatever you have to do to you know return your investors' capital, do it. Right. But I think this is not a good time to buy. I think that the market can only worsen. I the economy is so strong. That the Fed will have no choice but to at least go up one basis point, probably one and a half. I can there is a breaking point here that is coming. And I think that we all of us are beginning to see signs of that distress. Um, some are seeing more like Mark see Mark seeing more than others simply because Mark's network is bigger than mine. I mean, he's he's got more connections than I have. So he's seeing more of this stuff. I think it worsens in the coming six months. To me, I'm currently, I, I still feel like. If it can cash flow, I should buy. I'm sorry, I'm not seeing anything that works. I'm just out of the market because I'm forced to the market at all. It's right. And that's why Ken, I think, said,
1: if if you can underwrite the deal, you can cash flow. No one said you could, but if you can, I think you should buy. I think to me, the only thing that's working at the moment
3: is coming into other people's deals where there's nothing wrong with the deal except for for the, the debt payment. That's that's the only play i've got right now otherwise i'm going to wait for 6 months because i do think that this will correct i i think that expectations correct every month and they correct in the favor of buyers every month right. and i think this is
0: why too as an investor i think it's important to look at that you're an investor first right you you invest and you invest in different assets and maybe multifamily there are deals but maybe you know it's not the right time you know it's some people's opinion i think uh, we do other. We're doing a car wash deal. We've got our ATM fund. We have other things we're doing that we're finding are working well. But there are other things. But you know, I'm still a multifamily guy, right? So there's things we're always looking for multifamily deals. Um, we are getting some questions coming in. I want to dedicate some time to questions. I know we could like. I feel like I could have you guys all day, and just this would. I mean, I'm just learning a ton talking and sharing. Um, and everything. All night so,
1: for you, right? All night for you. It's like uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's already it's
0: uh, it's almost two a.m. here, and I'm 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 amped up, man. So um, it's a question coming in about new construction costs going up. They've been hot. I think lately, I've heard they've been coming down with supplies a little bit. Some of the supply chain stuff. Ken, can you talk to that a little bit? How is Construction costs? Do you, how do you see that looking the next, you know, six twelve months here?
2: It's definitely gotten better. Um, you know, you know the, the a lot of these things are commodity. You, you know, like obviously lumber's a commodity. So you know, and that's the one that everybody kind of points to. Oh, lumber's down, so everything's down. That's not exactly true. Um, you know, we're getting clobbered on on concrete. We're getting clobbered on OSB. We're getting clobbered on appliances. You know, our appliance package, stainless package is twenty four hundred a unit now you know um so you know things are tough to get uh you know midstream we you know we maybe can't get 400 microwaves you know uh, you know so so we're still seeing a little bit but um it's doubling significantly better than 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 what we had so i do see it settling down um quite a bit uh, on the you know we like i said we have six deals two are under construction four in pre-development and um um, you you know, so we're very active, at least in Arizona uh, at the moment.
3: Yeah, um, I, I just want to add, I'm not seeing labor come down. It's very disappointing. I'm seeing, you know, materials come down. Um, and, and a lot of that has just happened in the last two or three months. So I have a lot more, unfortunately, than six uh, construction deals. We've got about 19 of them. Six of them, I just put them on hold. You know, I had equity. I went back to my investors. I said, look, I own the land. I have no debt. It makes absolutely no sense to do anything. They're ready to go. They're, they're, they're shovel ready. I'm just putting them on ice. I mean, it makes just no sense. Why, why don't I just wait for six or seven months? I'm, I'm just going to have this outrageous, crazy 10 or 11% debt payment. So anything that's not far along on the construction side, you know, I'm, I'm just putting on ice. I'm still waiting for the labor cost to come down. But the way builders work in the US, until the day that they have jobs, they behave one way. And then all of a sudden their last job finishes and then they're like begging you for stuff that hasn't happened yet. At least not, you know, I, I, I build in the Texas, Arizona markets, labor hasn't come down. So, you know, new construction, very difficult at the moment.
2: I uh, will just say one thing like on the deal that I mentioned on, uh, you know, we have one on, uh, we're going to be opening soon. Um, you know, we projected 60 to be all in, um, and we thought it was going to be worth around the low eighties. Uh, you know, at completion, and we we just got an appraisal at 112. So, you know, that's the other side of it. You you know, so to Neil's point, you you know, you might, there's some short-term cash needs, which we had to cover, you know, some cost overruns and things like that, and even interest rate overruns. But um, when we go... (laughs) You know, I don't know if 112 is going to be 112, you know, at the end of the year, but you know, whatever. So the point is, is we're going to get something and it's significantly above what we started at, almost double. And so there's enough there, even if we're 60% loan to value, we're weighing the money. So I think, um, uh, you, you know, so we're going to, we'll get that back. So we're looking at these as short-term loans, kind of like Neil. Um, that's all we look at this. Uh, and so that's how we're treating construction.
3: I think one um, other question that comes up here. Oh I my mean, right, sorry. One. I well, think that... Ken's doing some of that. I can I can tell that he's doing it. I stopped investing in, you know, I, I'm one of those people that'll give a lot of my money to passive syndicators that are doing other things that I don't do, ATMs, you know, car washes, you name it. I mean a bunch of non-multifamily things. And I used to invest a great deal of money each year because I felt like I was part of their success, even though I was just a passive guy, right? I had no control. I just felt like I was learning through all of the stuff that they were doing. I haven't made an investment in eight months. I'm just holding cash. And then all of my cash is sitting in a bank account, Comerica bank account that pays me 4.1% interest. I'm happy about that. I mean, it's, it's $130,000 a year of interest, but it's sitting there. And it's, that's why I'm not losing sleep. It's money that I've made in this industry. And now if something bad happens, I need to use short-term loans and basically use my money. I think that's the mindset. If you as a syndicator have made money, then you need to have that mindset. You can only look at the good side.
0: Yeah, Um, one more question. I think we're, we're gonna come over questions coming in here. So let's talk real briefly, fixed debt versus bridge debt or shorter term debt. I know it's challenging to, you know, there's loan to value stuff that's changed, especially for fixed rate. You got prepay stuff. Is fixed rate even an option right now to get? Is it hard? Is it just very difficult? Or what is the fixed rate
1: situation versus bridge? I wouldn't wouldn't distinguish between fixed rate and bridge. There is fixed rate bridge. So whether you're Fannie, Freddie, bridge, they all have fixed rate options. Is it hard to get? No. You want to pay a high enough interest rate, you can get all day long. Is, is the yeah. spread,
0: I guess I was going to ask about the spread. What are you seeing as far as the spread between the two? And I guess, so, yeah, maybe a better way to see vari- variable bridge versus more fixed rate uh, or agency, agency, I guess agency debt.
2: Yeah, we're not even pre- considering it. Yeah, we're, Yeah. We're, you know, we're, there's too much risk on variable and the caps are expensive. So we're just, we we took that off the table months ago.
1: Yeah, well, with, with a fixed, so even with bridge, just to clarify, with a fixed bridge, so let's say you get a five-year, there's, there's no rate cap on it because it's fixed, so that's one. Uh, the reason someone even can consider doing it is if they're doing a big, huge CapEx project, you're not going to get the loan typically on a Fannie or Freddie, any CapEx, and you have, you have $20,000 a dollar CapEx, which I'm done with a lot of those deals now anyways, but if you're doing those type of deals, you're probably going to want to do do bridge because you're going to get 100% of the CapEx in your loan on a, on a bridge. So I guess I was just distinguishing that, you know, it's not Fanny Freddie, you know, fixed and bridge is everything else. Bridge has every option you possibly could think of. Be careful. Don't get into like a, you know, some like a one year bridge, two year bridge, you know, not good, uh, but some of them are five, like three, one, one. So it's five years, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is a runway. But if you have a choice between the two, I would go, I'd go more on a agency Fannie Freddie all day long, unless you just, you know, if you have $10 million in CapEx and Fannie and Freddie says, I'm going to give you zero, um you know, you might look at- yeah. it doesn't work. Um This will be our last question here. Uh This is
0: basically Lee is asking about, you know, not, you don't have the track record that everybody has. So how do I find distressed deals in the next six months? Like, what are some ways that you'd suggest somebody? Obviously, all of us have networks and these deals may be coming to us. But what would you suggest for somebody that's newer? Like, how would you? You know, be networking and trying to find some of these deals that could be available in the next six months.
3: It's easy. I mean, I'm at a raise fest that you you see that. Go to a conference. Tell people I have the ability to raise equity for a deal that's a good deal, but is negatively cash flowing. Someone needs to recapitalize it. I want I want to talk to them. Could you please let them know? That's all really you have to do. Because the people that need to recap a deal—that's the term, the technical term that we use in the in the trade. You know, the deal has to be recapitalized. It's, if you go out there, there's not a lot of people saying that, which I'm, by the way, I'm surprised by the syndication industry. I thought by now, the vultures would be all over us. And I'm not seeing enough guys walking around with cards. I don't know if Ken's seen them, but it's it's such a great opportunity right now because so many of these properties actually make money if the interest rates come down, right? There's no distress. So, I mean, you should be out there. Saying, make a card. I mean, cards are twenty-five bucks for five hundred cards. Make a card that says, you know, if you have a property that needs to be recapitalized and it's a good property, call me at this number. It is. It's really simple. It's not hard at all. Yeah.
0: Awesome guys. Well, I wanted to be uh, sensitive of everybody's time. Um, really appreciate each of you coming on. This has been a blast uh, talking with you guys. I think there were some great uh, discussions, some great questions. Just looking at the chat, and there's lots of awesome discussion there. I wanted to say to everybody joining us, thank you for being here. The Best Investment I think you can make really is in your own education. So things like this are are phenomenal. So I encourage you to follow each of these guys. They have a lot of content they put out, doing stuff on YouTube and podcasts and different types of things. Uh, If you like this content, we also put this out on uh, iTunes. I put the link in the show. It's called the Mailbox Money Show. I interviewed all of these within the last 12, all of these guests in the last 12 months and and Neil and Ken recently. So check that out and also be sure to give us a five-star review. Uh, like I mentioned, our investment club—we have deals coming available. A car wash deal that's coming up. We have our ATM fund. We have some other stuff in multifamily we're doing. Um, just wanted to give you guys each a chance. If people want to reach out or something you're working on, just maybe a short, uh, you know, twenty second thing of what you're what you're doing. how people connect with you. We'll start with Neil.
3: Ken, go first, please.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> I go first. sitting
3: there waiting.
2: Well, oh, no, no, worries, no worries. So, so obviously, you can get us at kenmacro.com. We got all kinds of stuff there. Um, just trying to, uh, you know, I think you know, Neil brought it up, going to these conferences is going to be very, very important this year, um, you know, uh, for the people who will tell the truth, you know, and I think there is a fair amount of people that are there looking for recapitalization. I think that's going to be the wave this year, this whole year, um, whether they, uh, you know, say it or not. So uh, I would continue to do that. Um, we continue to put out, uh, pump out whatever we can on YouTube to try to educate and help people. So I don't want any investors, I don't want any LPs to lose money. Uh, that's my one of my biggest things. I I, you know, and there's a lot of people that aren't staying educated on some of the stuff and listening to stuff like this, because you can make changes and you can make moves now to, to you know to cover all of this uh in in uh, 2023,
3: 2024. Well, my connection is really simple. I'm the only Neil Bauer on the World Wide Web. As long as you get my spelling down, just type in Neil Bauer, hit enter, you will see a bunch of stuff and that's uh, probably the best way for us to get connected.
1: Thanks, Neil. For me, it's uh, Mark, M-A-R-K at thinkmultifamily.com. Just shoot me over an email. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you again so much. This has been great. The 2023
0: Multifamily Outlook event, this will be sent out uh, via email. It will also be available on YouTube probably tomorrow. So please feel free to share this. Give it a thumbs up uh, and looking forward to a great 2023 for everyone. We do have an inflation event coming up on February 16th. We're going to talk about uh, what's happening with inflation and high interest rates. So we kind of do multifamily and then we talk about inflation. So thank you for joining the Bronson Equity Monthly Events. We look forward to seeing everybody again soon. Thank you to all our panelists and for all our guests today.
2: Guys, enjoy. Cheers. Take care.
3: Thanks,
0: guys. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.